This is BJ Stagner. Welcome to Iron Sharpeneth Iron Podcast. Each week we discuss topics on fitness, faith, and family. We'll be talking to men and women within the fitness and faith communities who have achieved extraordinary feats and have overcome the temptation to quit by developing a mindset of mental, emotional, and spiritual toughness. This is BJ and RST. I want to thank you guys for joining us today and welcome to episode three of Iron Sharpeneth Iron Podcast. We're sitting down today with Tom Kelly, as you will hear shortly, along with his team, became the first to complete the 3,100 mile unsupported row from Australia to Mauritius. And they was a tribute to their friend, Lieutenant Mark Evanson, who was killed in Afghanistan in 2009. How are you doing today? It's great to have you with us today. Yeah, good. Thanks. Yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, wonderful. It's a great opportunity to be able to sit down and chat with you today. I'm looking forward to it. Rob, always good to be with you, my man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Tom, if you will, just tell us a little bit about your background real quick, if you don't mind. And uh, and what led you to take this 3,100-mile rowing challenge? Yeah. So, um, my current background, I'm a personal trainer in London. Um, I work out of a, a studio, small gym. Um, it's mainly one-to-one clients that I run um, these days due to the uh, current climate. I'm doing more more online training. Um, prior to that, um, I actually kn- known Robin for a long time. I grew up in Cardiff and we played quite a bit of rugby together there in various te- teams before uh, before he became a superstar, left me trailing behind. Um, <laughs> oldest friends I'd like to say, mate, the oldest, oldest friend I've got. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, so I then went off to, um, New Zealand, played a bit of rugby out there. Um, and then I came back to uni, um, where I actually did a real estate management degree, um, left uni and went to London and joined the charter surveying company there. So I qualified as a charter surveyor, did, uh, about seven years working in London in, uh, in the big smoke and, uh, <clears throat> I had a change of uh, change of of lifestyle. Really realised I didn't didn't want to work in the big commercial uh, industry anymore, and I uh, I went and did a personal training qualification, and uh, well, the rest is history. Really qualified as a personal trainer, and uh, and I've been doing that ever since. Outstanding, outstanding, man! I, I sure can appreciate that. Tom, we have a clip from your YouTube page on day 61 where you were cooking lunch and giving a little bit of an update of what was going on on the sea at that time. And we're going to play that right now for the folks out there. Well, it's, um, I'm just cooking lunch for the boys and it's absolutely tipping down outside. I'm in the uh, bow cabin while he's asleep behind me. And um, it's absolutely horrendous. I'll give you a quick preview. That's all I can do because it will get too wet. But um, this is a proper squall coming through, and the boys are getting absolutely pelted. Uh, day of reference with day 61. Rain was forecast, so uh, this isn't surprising. It's just amazing how quickly these weather systems come through. So this will probably only last a few minutes, and then um, and it will move on. You can actually see it coming across the water. It's amazing. Uh, anyway, let's get on cooking. Got my jet boiler here and uh, beef bolognese. Well, this touch you going rice for me. So um, there's a jet boiler going. 
Amazing the mindset that uh, Tom has during this time. Day 61 it is out of 75. And uh, what amazing the attitude and, and outlook, a great mindset of positivity uh, to complete this wonderful and tremendous task. So what led you to this 3,100-mile rolling chair? I mean, 3,100 miles. You stop and you think about that. I mean, as you can tell, I mean, I'm from the States. I know what it's like to drive 3,100 miles, but I can't imagine rowing 3,100 miles. So what, what drove you to, to take, about, take on uh, this challenge as you would? Yeah, it, a number of reasons, really. I, you, you've obviously mentioned Mark, and uh, a, few of, uh, a few of the boys and myself, Mark included, were discussing... Um, completely having a go at the the Atlantic Ocean rowing race they go from the Canary Islands over to the Caribbean and uh, that's quite a big commercial race that's 2,400 miles about 30-40 boats do it every year Um, none of us can row I I say can I still can't row Um, (laughs) and uh, we were discussing doing that as a bit as a bit of a challenge and uh, Mark went off to Afghanistan with the Welsh Guards and uh, he was sadly, sadly shot and killed out there. Um, so a foundation was set up in his name, the Mark Everson Foundation. And we decided that we'd carry on with our plans, uh, do the row, uh, partly in his name, partly for, for the challenge of it, because, you know, we, we wanted to do something anyway. Um, and then we sat down and thought, well, it was a company called Woodvale that, that we're organizing at the time. The, the Atlantic row. Um, for those who are looking it up, it's now now owned by Talisker. I think it's Talisker Whiskey, isn't mm. it? Um, so it's a really they, they've pumped some money into it. It's a big commercial uh, event now annually, and the the Atlantic races were going really well. They were getting a big turnout, and they thought, right, why don't we open one up across the Indian Ocean? So um, they opened one up across the Indian Ocean. We thought, right, let's enter that one instead. Then, if we're going to do if we're going to do an ocean, let's let's do the big one. So naively. Wow. So uh, we entered, there was one in 2009. We, we didn't manage to get ready for that. So we entered, they were going to do that every other year. So we entered one in 2011 uh, and started the preparations for that. But uh, the 2009 race wasn't a huge success. I don't think for, for the majority of the boats uh, that joined it or the sponsors, um, you know, no, no one sank, but, uh, or, you know, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't as successful as the, uh, as the Atlantic races for, for whatever reason, it was just a little bit too unpredictable. Um, we were quite far down the line then in terms of organizing our event and raising money and having the boat built. Um, by which time the, uh, Woodvale, the, the organizers decided to bin the Indian ocean races, uh, and just stick to the Atlantic. Um, we decided that we were going to do it anyway then, which is why it became an unsupported race. Um, so normally mm. across the Atlantic, they'll have a number of yachts, support boats that will sail in between the fleet, um, just checking that everyone's okay. If anything did go wrong, they, they are there. So a lot of the boats that go across aren't necessarily supported, but the, the boat is there if they, if they need it. Um, so we didn't have that. We decided to, that we'd have a crack at the Indian anyway, probably again, rather naively. Um, so our insurers pulled out. Um, they, they weren't going to insure us anymore. Uh, most of our, I think most of our family were tempted to disown us. Um, but, uh, but we thought, you know, 
Mark would want us to do this. It's, it's a hell of a challenge. So off we went and uh, we took the boat out to, uh, shipped it out to Australia and, uh, and off we went. So, um, you know, it, it was really a combination of doing it for Mark. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd lie if I said it was 100% for Mark. It was, it was for, for, the, for the challenge as well. Wow. That is absolutely amazing. I'm going to turn over to Robin. Okay. He's got some, several questions and we're all interested in hearing this. Uh, just a little bit of what it took to, to be able to complete that row, 3,100 miles. I keep saying that because it just uh, amazes me. So, RST, why don't you take it from here, my man? Yeah. Um, thanks, Beach. I mean, you know, just, just carrying on with what you're talking about there, Tom, in terms of the, you know, it's quite almost just flippant with the, the Indian Ocean on the cusp of the Southern Ocean there. You know, what can only be described as, you know, probably, you know, one of the most unpredictable and brutal environments, you know, in the world. And to think, you know, that's what you put yourself, you know, into the position you put yourself into to, to, to take on a challenge is, uh, you know, it's unbelievable. As I touched on, you know, you, you, you know you're my oldest standing friend and, uh, you know, the mindset that Beach, you know, th- this podcast, Beach was always keen to on... Um, you know, it being based around a number of different things and, you know, mindset being one of them, you know, when, when he spoke about it, you know, the first person I suggested be just right or wrong, but you know, who we needed to get on it here was, was you, Tom, you know, in terms of your, that I can only compare it to the likes of your Ross Edgley's, you know, these individuals that, you know, it's, it's so impressive, you know, for the, going back to the challenge, you know, that challenge took about three years, three years to plan. Yeah. Train for, um, and I remember, you know, I remember coming up just not not long before you went and, uh, you know, just have a little taste of one of your, your rowing sessions that you did. He was, uh, he was on one of the uh, Concept 2 rowers and, you know, only after an hour of rowing, I was tapped out, I was gone. You know, to think that you uh, you guys were in that boat for, for 76 days, over two and a half months of rowing, yeah. that, you know, is incredible. But, you know what, just to start off with, Tom, just give us a bit of a back, background in terms of those three years um, you know, your your mindset in terms of your preparation, obviously, you know, the plan initially on the 2009 road, but then, you know, that period of time in the preparation, the, the obstacles you had, um, you know, in the chat, you know, the motivation to, to, to do what you did, um, you know, your training in particularly, you know, how did you approach it? Such an incredible feat to go after. How do you train for something like that? Um, it, the, the, the training was interesting because, um, you know, a lot of my training up until then had been relatively rugby focused and, um, you know, none of us, none of us had done much, that much endurance stuff. I'd done a few triathlons and things before then, um, but nothing that had lasted more than, you know, a few hours or a day. Yeah. Um, and really, once you're into 24 hours of, of rowing, you're, you're into the unknown. There's, there's only so much you can train for. And, um, you know, probably a word that that I use a lot is the is sort of adaptation where, you know, we, we were looking at, at things that you, you can't get on a rower and train and do two hours on, two hours off for a week unless you, you don't have a job to go to and, and you don't have a family. You know, you, you've got to be realistic about these things. And we did a couple of long rows where um, one of the boys who, who was in the team um was was in the army in the military at the time so we went up to his barracks we did it twice i think and we marked out in in their gym uh the area of the boat and we had two rowing machines because we rowed two at a time on the boat yeah. and uh and we did a 24-hour row 
in in the gym two hours on two hours off and we weren't allowed to leave that area so we slept in the gym we ate in that area and that was as i guess as realistic as as we could do around that it was more focusing on on the i guess structuring your body or developing your body to try and uh, limit the, the the uncontrollables like the amount of pressure that is going to go into your lower back just with the repetitive nature of a row and having done our research every crew that we spoke to said when you get off the oars after that two hours or three hours or whatever it is and you lie down in the cabin the backache is just phenomenal and, and you don't really have any space to stretch it out you you can't you can't have got a foam roller or you haven't got anyone to massage it so um I had just qualified as a PT, so I sort of took it upon myself to to train the boys. And we did a lot of rowing work. We did a lot of strength work in the in the back and in, and in the legs. But I made sure that the boys did a lot of core, hip stability, a lot of lower back work. And uh, I don't think anyone complained about lower back pain the entire way across. There was a lot of there was a lot of complaints <clears throat> about about sores on on certain areas and mm. blistered hands and feet and things like that. But lower backs um, were actually in really good nick. And uh, it was interesting that it wasn't necessarily just, you know, doing repetitions on the rowing machine. It was, it was working around other, other methods of stability and, and mobilization that actually probably helped us more, yeah. which was interesting. And I think that's, you know, that's a, it's a really good point, you know, in terms of just the endurance, you know, the endurance prep, prepping for an endurance event like that. It's, you know, it is that question on how do you predict, how do you train for something that's going to go on for such a long period of time? And it's interesting, you know, that benefit of strength training and, you know, that knock on effect to how you felt during the row, um, you know, in terms of just moving on into, into the row itself, you know, the, the highs and lows of it, Tom, it's, you know, to be in a boat with, you know, four of you all together on top of each other for, you know, for that amount of time, um, you know, obviously that the highs and lows must have been pretty incredible. Do you have, you know, standout moments, you know, of, uh, you know, in terms of both areas that, that, that bring back and now you can look back with a smile? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, highs, I, I guess, going back to the adaptation i i loved both mentally and physically the the challenge of uh adapting yeah. you know the the challenge that we had was so one-dimensional in the you know in terms of what we were trying to achieve we we had to get that boat from a to b yeah. and you know we were trying to do it unsupported and we were trying to trying to do it as fast as we could but that was ultimately what what we had to do sleep eat row yeah. that was it and I actually really loved that in, you know, a bit selfishly in that I completely cut myself off to the outside world. And I felt that was the best way to do it mentally, because if you can focus 100 percent of your energy 24 hours a day on your goal, rather than wondering about, you know, what's going on back at home, house, friends and family, you know, don't get me wrong. I did, I did, I did think about them. Yeah. Um, 
but it's really and interesting I, I, to say this without without butting in on you, Tom. Like you know, some of these again, I mentioned about the Ross Edgley um, at, at the start. I remember listening to his um, you know documentary about him rowing around Great Britain and you know swimming. What what yeah? What, this was a bit tougher than ours. I think but, he swam with me. Yeah, he swam. <laughs> but you know, in terms of that mindset, he spoke very much about what you said there. You know, almost becoming feral-like in terms of your yeah, exactly. It's exactly, exactly. That. I I heard him say that, and it. He he said it was like going feral, didn't he? Yeah, and and, and that exact that brought it exactly back to me, and and I think that if you can block out everything else, you almost become someone else. Mm. You become someone mm. else for that period of time, and and it was very easy then. As soon as you finished, cross the finishing line. I don't know. Ross might say something different, but I found as soon as I crossed that finish line, you you snap back. You're back into that person with a few amendments, twenty twenty kilos lighter probably. <laughs> Um, but you, you're straight back into Tom, who can't row again. And this is like this is this, this is incredible because like it's tri- like I love the, the 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 flippancy of it in terms of how you describe it because I cannot for one minute imagine what it must be like to get into that sort of mindset where you know you've left Perth, you're going on into the Indian Ocean, Southern Ocean. You know you're three days in, you've been doing the same thing, two hours on, two hours off knowing full well you have got, you know, another 70-odd days, months ahead of you of the same same monotony. And that mindset is just incredibly incredible. And I just find it fascinating and yeah. so much respect for how you, you know, how you're able to put yourself into that, um, into that position. And I think, you know, certainly really interesting how easy you said, you know, passing it back on, just touching on that. Cause I remember, you know, speaking to, um, you know, after, and it took you a good while in terms of just how you fit your body physically, again, as you said, adapted back to normal life. And I remember you had the, the, the issues with your hands in particular, um, to give us an idea on that, Tom. Yeah. F- physically it was more difficult than, than mentally, we were, um, I mean, just to give you an idea, when, when we, we were very, we were sponsored very kindly by a, uh, a lovely hotel in, in Mauritius, which was great. And we arrived into, uh, into the, the yacht club, which was where we finished. And we had a lovely barbecue, went back to this hotel. And uh, well, the first thing was we got off the boat, stood on the pontoon. And uh, no joke, I, I thought it was a floating pontoon. I couldn't stand up. Because I was moving so much, I don't know whether Rob, you, you you've definitely been on 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 a few boats in your time, but you know you've been on a boat for a while and you you stand on land and you can almost feel yourself swaying a bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had that in the in extreme, you know, in the extremity for about four days. Yeah, and uh, as soon as we got off the boat onto this pontoon, there was a lot of press there trying to do a few interviews. And we could hardly stand up because yeah. we hadn't we hadn't stood on anything solid for for seventy five days, but um, I mean we, we we recovered fairly quickly. I was probably the the, the worst physically afterwards in terms of um, my hands. Mm. Um, I had what I don't know whether it's a generic term. We we called it claw hand, which was basically where I don't know whether I gripped too hard on the oars or, or whatever it was, but after about three weeks of the row, whenever I finished a, a, a session, a two hour session and, and had a sleep, when I woke up, my hands were, my fingers were already bent in the shape that they would be if they were holding the oar and I couldn't move them. They were absolutely rigid. Um, and that would take a, a bit of time to try and loosen them off. It was quite painful as well to, to try and be able to grip the oars and, 
I thought, oh, when I finish and I stop rowing, that'll be fine. They'll just go back to normal. Mm. But they didn't. I, I went to bed the first night we got there. I woke up in the morning and they were even more rigid than they'd ever been. I, I couldn't move my fingers. So I actually came, you know, we had a week there and nothing improved. And I came home and I actually had to go and have, um, have some hand therapy to, to try and move, get movement back into my fingers um, because I couldn't, I couldn't move my fingers or thumb thumbs at all but after a few weeks they um that eased up and i i don't think there's any sort of long-term damage with it um i think i got a few scars on on my behind from uh, some of the salt sores i think they were probably the most painful thing i've ever experienced you know they they are they were just raw and uh you know you you've got to sit back down on that every two hours yeah. Um, but what's, you know, going back to the whole mindset thing, what, what was interesting is how your body adapts to it. The first five, 10, 15 minutes are, are some of the most painful experiences I, I think I've had in my life. But after that, your, your body copes with it and adapts with it because you've still got to do another hour 45 or two hours 45 or whatever it is on those sores. And by the, you know, half an hour into it, you wouldn't know you had a sore. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, it's not like the sore's gone away. Your body's just adapted to it somehow. That's incredible. Which is incredible. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, Tom, just obviously, you know, working in that 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 confined area as part of the team. Just talk. Just talk a little bit on the the, the the team aspect of things. And you know, obviously, you would have had, I imagine, some highs and lows. Did you know? Were, were there times of falling out with one another, or disagreements, or did you? Was it something that you were aware of could happen? And you know, you, you, you know, you plan for in advance. I mean, how does, how did working in a team in that sort of an environment work? Yeah. I mean, historically, a lot of teams that, that um, fail these crossings uh, do so because they can't work together as a team and they either give up because they've had a falling out. I think there was a fours boat uh, in the 2009 crossing, um, I think they were Kiwi lads, um, you know, strapping lads, great rowers, um, you know, in a rowing race, they would have hammered us, I would have thought. Mm. But um, apparently they had a massive falling out within a couple of days. One of the boys locked himself in the cabin and wouldn't come out. So they, they had to quit. Um, you know, I, I think I think we were very lucky in that we we all got on very well and we all brought very different things to uh, to the crossing. Um I probably, you know, there, there were a few fallings out um, and, you know, we dealt with them. I, I, I think it would be unrealistic if you weren't going to have any. Yeah. I think I annoyed the hell out of the boys because I timed every single mile that we that we did. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I can see how that would probably get a little serious. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was counting in my head the stroke rate the entire time. And, really? And if it wasn't low enough and efficient enough, I'd be like, "Oi, we're going. The stroke rate's too fast. Slow it down." And they're like, "Oh, for God's sake! Yeah. Can we just can we just try and enjoy this and row at a steady pace?" And I was like, "No, it's ruining our efficiency." Yeah. But um, yeah, we had a few fallings out. But I think ultimately we were we were really lucky in that I think we all realised that we were we were all very different people. We all brought very different things to the team, and we we couldn't have done it without without any well obviously you needed four people but i think we all brought something to the team that was probably um invaluable really i mean you know i mean 
finishing the race, how do you feel that you know it's in you know what you've achieved there is incredible, and you know across those few months there must have been things that you've taken away, you know, and it has impacted your life. You know, you've obviously gone through some big career changes, um, you know, from working in the city, well, from working in the city in the corporate world, you know, to to what you're doing now and following your uh, following your passion, and you know, hopefully, you know, as you said, looking at setting up your own facility. You know, how how did that period affect your life and impact it, mate? Um, yeah, I mean, people always do these things, don't they? And they go, oh, my God, it changed my life. You know, I want to live every day yeah. as it comes. And, you know, I always sort of laughed at that initially. And, and I've come back and gone, yeah, it, it's kind of true. I don't, I don't preach about that. But I think subconsciously I am probably now a, a little bit more like that. But, um, you know, also I look at uncontrollables, um, you know, think things outside of our control. And for example, on the on the boat, um, our centerboard snapped on day five, and it it floated away, and there was nothing we could do about it. And Rob, you know from from a little bit of sailing experience, you know, a, a centerboard is invaluable yeah. if if you're going anywhere bar downwind. Yeah. And uh, it meant that from day five, we zigzagged across because we were so vulnerable to crosswinds side you know side winds currents so um you know bj you were saying 3100 miles we zigzagged so much mm. we ended up doing closer to 4000 than 3000 miles because we just couldn't go wow. go in a straight line and i think it's how you know it, it, in life i think it's worth you know especially in this climate now you've got to look at the uncontrollables and and almost discount them or or adapt to them and we had one day where we had a crosswind and we rode for 24 hours just with one oar because to try and stay straight, we were being pushed too far south and we were, we were in danger of actually missing um, Mauritius. We couldn't get there because we were getting pushed. So we, we folded one oar in and we just rode with one oar for 24 hours to try and, uh, to, to, to try and row up wind a bit. And we got an email from one of the boys' mums going, oh, we basically went nowhere. That in that 24 hours, we were just trying to stop our negative drift. And we got an email from one of the mm. boys', boys mothers saying how lovely it was that we'd given ourselves 24 hours off. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just think, well, you, you've got to look at those uncontrollables and go, well, uh, you know, I can sit here and whinge about them or, or you, can, you, you can adapt and, and do something about it. And I think... You know, going back to your question, Rob, you know, I, I think since I've got back, I probably look at the uncontrollables and, you know, with it, specifically to training, endurance and pain thresholds, I, I probably look at them slightly differently mm. in that, you know, it, it kind of is what it is. I, you know, Gemma hates it when I, my, my wife, sorry, hates it when I, when I say this because you've kind of got to look at these things and get on with it, adapt, mm. um, both mentally and physically and, and get on with them because I think it's amazing how the body and the mind can work together to help each other yeah. to, uh, to adapt, to get through these things. I think that's, you know, good to you, Beach, because I know this is an area that you, you wanted to touch on to, um, to wrap, wrap things up. But, um, yeah, it's really interesting um, what you're saying there, Tom. That is outstanding, Tom. Really have enjoyed that story. It's uh, mightily encouraging, if I say so myself. And, 
So just finishing off, guys, and, and wrapping it up, uh, Tom, just um, what are some thoughts uh, for those who are dealing with some emotional and mental, mental struggles in life? And, and we understand that people deal with them every single day and uh, everyone deals with them in, in, in a different capacity. Um, what advice would you offer to those out there today that would help them to see the light of day uh, in the midst of these different types of struggles that they're dealing with? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question. And I'm, I'm probably not massively qualified to, to answer it. But, um, you know, I, I think personally, I, I, I find it fairly easy to adapt because I, I, think I'm, I think I'm probably inwardly quite, quite a selfish, unemotional person. So I'm, I'm quite, quite happy to switch from, from one thing to the other. But, you know, re- regarding the fitness industry in particular, I, I, I know that a lot of, you know, during these current times, a lot of people will be spending a lot of time on, on social media, looking at what other people are doing and, or, or what other people are saying they're doing. And, um, you know, there's, there's generally two ways in which that goes. You know, one is that it motivates you. And the other is it, you know, it, it can make you feel like, you know, like rubbish, really. Um, and, and realistically, there's probably a blend for, for most people there. If you look at something or find something and it motivates you, great. Feed off that motivation and enjoy the lift that it's given you. If, if it's making you feel like rubbish, well, in this current environment, you know, we, we've all got to adapt. You know, if you see someone on Instagram and they're, and they're lifting their PB in a deadlift and, and your goal was to do that in April, well, if you haven't got the facilities anymore, um, I know Rob and, and his gym at Ion, they've been great and given, given out a load of kits. So a lot of people will still be able to achieve their goals. Great. A lot of people won't. And I think you've got to look at that and go, well, look, you know, these things happen. Let's be realistic about it and let's adapt. Let's let's use these times. And it doesn't doesn't have to just be, you know, in, in the fitness wow. industry. It, it could be anything. I think you know, if in in whatever your line of work is, step back, look about what's realistic, and uh, you know, it might be that you need to amend your goals and and work on maybe work on your weaknesses, work on mobility, flexibility before you then attempt your your PB in May or June. You know, and I. Th- um, you know, so as you said, it's just it's that good. having that ability to control, you know, control controllables really. And it's, I really like that mm-hmm. point that you, you, you really, you know, you're in control, you know, you're, you're in control of not your destiny as such, but you're in control of your, your future almost. And it's, you can either, I think social media is a great, you know, it's a very topical um, point at the moment, isn't it? And it's, you know, can either use it positively or it can hit, you know, affect you negatively. And it's at the end of the day, it's up to you to 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 deal with those emotions. You have control of your, your emotions, and it's it's going with it. So, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, at the, at the, you know, bottom line is this: when the rubber rubber meets the road, guys. I mean, we can determine how we react to things, and we can't control other people's actions, but we sure can control our reactions. So, it has really been great to have uh, with uh, Rob and myself, Tom uh, Kelly. It's been just wonderful to have you here. Thank you for your time today, and I really want to thank you personally for your encouraging story, Tom. Thank oh, you no so much. I deeply appreciate it. All right, guys, join us next week for episode four. And I want you to remember change is inevitable and how we adapt to it is the true test. Have a great day. We are out.
This is BJ Stagner, your host of Iron Sharpeneth Iron Podcast. Thank you for being with us today. Please feel free to subscribe to our weekly podcast, share with others, and invite them to come along. You can also follow us on Facebook at Iron Sharpeneth Iron Podcast or on Instagram at ISI Podcast. We ask you to have a wonderful and great day and keep moving forward.